Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Kelly Driscoll. In this episode, you'll hear part two of my conversation with Tracy Penny Light from St. George's University and ABLE, the Association for Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part two of our conversation with Tracy Penny Light from St. George's University. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. Now, I know um, last time I saw you speak uh, was actually at the most recent AACNU uh, annual meeting and ePortfolio forum. And uh, I was really excited about the presentation, Tracy, because you were bringing in this kind of importance of mindfulness in teaching and and how that can play a part with e-portfolios. And I was hoping you could share a little bit about the ideas behind that presentation with our listeners here too. Yeah, I think at the heart of e-portfolio practices and pedagogies is the notion of mindfulness, but we don't often label it that way. We think about portfolios as a space for storytelling, as a space for understanding yourself and making connections between and among learning experiences. And it seemed to me, particularly during the height of the pandemic, that, gosh, e-portfolio practices could really be leveraged in the service of our own wellness and well-being as portfolio practitioners. And so I really wanted to make the connection between, and and full disclosure, I'm a, a yoga teacher. I know you are as well. And so that yeah. definitely feeds into some of my thinking. But, you know, wanting to sort of step back and say, how do we use reflection as a way to, to restore and rejuvenate ourselves so that we can be mindful as we design the practices we want our students to engage in? as well as being mindful toward ourselves. So so what do I need as an individual to be a you know, well person in my role, whatever that might be at a university or in the community. So really thinking about where are the connections between storytelling, between reflection, between mindfulness and portfolio practices and how can we kind of almost get double bonus points for for bringing those things together. So if we're really mindful ourselves and are looking after ourselves and engaging in practices that will enable us to, to be restored, to be rejuvenated, we can transfer that to the work that we're doing with our students at the same time um, and or in, in the context of the work that I'm doing here currently, the work with our colleagues. You know, most of my work right, right now is focused on helping faculty to design their own portfolios for their own professional um, learning and, 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 and professional growth. So, yeah, I, I just, I think there's such an opportunity and 
early on, I remember working with some of my students in an interdisciplinary program around developing their portfolios. And I think I wasn't calling it mindfulness then, but it definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, again, fully of thinking is a mindful practice because I wanted them to really think about, and in this course, it was a, a basically a history of the family class. I wanted them to think about mm-hmm. what are their own, what were their own family histories? How did they understand family as a concept? Where did those ideas come from? How could they leverage the learning from that particular course and take it into the work that they wanted to do? And, and most of the students in that particular program were interested in community-based um, work, nonprofit mm-hmm. organizations, the, those sorts of things. And so it was really important to me to help them to really get a sense of their own positionality in the context of the work. And I remember one student saying, coming up after class and saying, I feel like if I put a lot of stuff about my personal life in my portfolio, I will get a better mark in this class. (laughs) And and it was such a great wake-up call for me because I instantly said, no, 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 no. That is not what I'm advocating. I don't, you, you, your life is your life. I'm not asking you to put anything into your portfolio that you wouldn't want to share anyway. Yeah. However, what I am asking you to do is think about yourself and figure out how you do want to represent your learning in the class. And so for some students, it, it, for sure, it was making connections between experiences they had with their grandparents or an experience that they had with their roommate or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But for other students, it, they didn't frame it that way. And, and that's just fine. So creating that space for all of us to think about who am I? What do I want? How am I making connections? How am I breathing through those various experiences? Because I think one of the things we don't do well collectively, probably as humans, is breathe. <laughs> you know, we, 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 you know, we get in the thick of things and we don't realize like I'm holding my breath. I'm not actually being mindful yeah. because I'm just trying to tick all these various things off my list of to-dos. Whereas if we really could take a step back and and say, well, maybe I'm going to get less done, but maybe I the things that I do do will be deeper, um, more meaningful, richer. Mm-hmm. To me, like that's kind of where I want to go with our students these days. And, and certainly it's true with my colleagues. Rather than feeling like we have to have these experiences where we're staying up all night to, to accomplish a task, well, is that task really going to be accomplished well? Probably not. You know, we're, we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll tackle it at a surface level, but it, we won't get that deep understanding and deep, you know, sense of resonance of the task for us as individuals. And I think going back to our con- you know, conversation earlier about knowledge transfer, we're sure not going to transfer right. that learning to another context because we, we won't have, we won't be able to hang on to it. So, that process of being mindful of reflection, to me, we really need to circle back to and we need to make more prominent in, in the work that we're doing, whether that's with students or, or with other colleagues. Because if we let go of that in, in the, the, you know, the context of this really busy world where there's always something pinging at us or, 
you know, calling our attention away from the task at hand, then we aren't going to be able to really make the changes and, and engage in transformative practices like I know in the portfolio community we're all really interested in. And so, yeah. you know, and I think going back to ABLE, one of the things, projects that's been underway for a, a couple of years now is a task force on digital ethics that's made up of members from the community. And that group started out thinking about, like, what are the ethics around portfolios? What are some of the things we ought to be considering? And, you know, it, initially it, it was, what do we need to know about requests for proposals that our universities put out and the language that's okay. embedded in contracts with vendors about ePortfolio tools and um, how do we how do we help students to to have those experiences of identity development and and making visible their learning without putting them at risk because you know mm-hmm. going back to the student who said I feel like if I put all kinds of personal stuff in here no 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 not at all like we we have to enable um, learners to feel really comfortable and confident in the material that they do make public and we also need to teach them about what ought to be public and what what's private and so copyright and you know all of those things mm-hmm. are, are lumped into there but where that task force is really spending a bit more time recently is is thinking about things like invisible labor so you know often on campuses the portfolio initiative is being you know shepherded along by one individual who maybe is doing that off the side of their desk. So it's it's on top of all of the other things. Well, how realistic is it to think that that person is going to be successful in transforming, you know, campus culture? Probably not. You know, they probably won't be that successful. And And why are we setting up people to be in those positions anywhere where they're not necessarily guaranteed to be successful. In fact, they're probably more likely to fail and because they just don't have the supports and resources available. And so it's a tricky line that we need to walk between enabling people to, to, to be able to capitalize and leverage the resources that are available in the community in service of their own initiatives, but also to build the case for we need to have more than one person doing this off the side of the desk. And it's it's fine to be the initial faculty member who's trying it out because you're really passionate about storytelling and mindfulness and folio thinking. That's that's where we started at Waterloo. I mean, it was me basically because my boss, right. you know, sort of gave me permission to make it part of my role. And so so that was fine. But we needed to be really careful as we rolled that out to the rest of the campus to really make sure that people had the supports that they needed in order to be successful. So never do we want to have portfolio initiatives that that aren't resourced in a way that will enable their success. The work of Brett Einan and Laura Gambino, I think, really points to this, where they they mm-hmm. sort of note that e-portfolios are wonderful when done well, which doesn't mean that everybody ought to employ these practices. It doesn't mean that we should do it off the sides of our desk. It means that when we really integrate the thinking into the work that we're already doing, we can do a good job with portfolios. If it's just there because, you know, it's something that somebody (laughs) thinks this is a really cool technology, we should just add that on to what is happening to the student experience, then no, um, it's not It's not going to be a success. And the students are going to smell that a mile away. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, 
And they, I mean, they know. Oh, this, <laughs> and and faculty too. I I had a really interesting experience recently. Um, Kathy Yancey and I were asked to to work with some colleagues at Trinity College. They are doing some interesting work with students in pharmacy and having the students create portfolios as part of an experiential placement. And what really stuck for me in that experience was the way that it was designed put students at the heart of the whole initiative. So the students were seen as partners right from the beginning. And this was a small mm-hmm. a small pilot. In pharmacy in Ireland, pharmacists are required to maintain portfolios to document mm-hmm. their continual pre- professional development or their CPD. And so there's a whole system in place for professional pharmacists to document that. And it, it's kind of the, strikes me as the, the, the matrix. I don't know if you remember, like, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, we often (laughs) saw portfolio initiatives that consisted of a big matrix of all these boxes and students needed to tick all the boxes. And so there's a really good reason for an approach like that for just kind of checking the boxes purposes, but that doesn't necessarily promote deep learning and knowledge transfer as, as we've learned um, over the years in ePortfolio practice. So they knew that that was the case, but then the, the person who was leading this experiential placement thought, you know, is also working at, is a pharmacist, but also working at the um, teaching and learning unit at, at Trinity College, wanted to also enable the students to, to do a different kind of experiential placement. So this was a placement that was also tied to teaching and learning and um, students applied for it. She ended up with two students and she got them started with their portfolio, not starting portfolios. <laughs> so so in other words, she had them read about e-portfolios. She had them look at examples of student portfolios. She had them talk to us. And we designed a symposium where they were going to share their learning of Mm. building portfolio, you know, like why build a portfolio. And they both did build portfolios, but that isn't where it started. It was really hinged on what's the value in creating a portfolio? Like what would, what's that process look like? How, how do we best understand it? What does the literature say about it? And they looked at things that were from, pharmacy, but also lots of, of examples from beyond that particular field. And what was really transformative about that project, and, and we're just working on getting the findings together because we've, we've got a publication that will come out of it, is that when you invite students in to think about that process, it, it can go in different ways than we anticipate because they're bringing their experiences. And, you know, and, and it was really interesting because the, the person who was the preceptor, Cicely Roche, who's, um, who's in charge, she wanted to have the students tell her where and how they thought portfolios would be helpful to them. And so yeah. the two students landed in different places and that was great because we learned a lot from them about the value of student agency, of putting students at the Mm -hmm. center of the process, of centering the process itself rather than building a product. And 
I think that oftentimes when we're we're engaged in portfolio work, and and this has been true for me too, we're working the students toward development, developing skills that, that will result in a product. So yes, we're engaging them in the process, but we don't necessarily start with this is the process. And and let's let's unpack and have you figure out how this process works and whether or not it will work for you and what does that look mm-hmm. like. And and so it just reinforced for me that that thinking about the process is so essential. And and to the point of ePortfolios done well, it really matters who's involved. So there are there are times when it just doesn't make sense for some faculty to try to use portfolio because it doesn't align with their philosophy. It may not align with who they are as individuals. Like maybe they haven't stepped back and done that mindfulness piece and developed the self-awareness of who am I as a teacher? And, you know, without that, I don't, I just don't think this can fly. Um, It's just such an integral part of, of the practice that, you know, I wanted to kind of get to, to make this very long story shorter. <laughs> I wanted to make that session about like, how can we be mindful ourselves as practitioners so that we can then transfer that learning and help our students to, to take a similar mindful approach to their own learning, understanding, thinking, rather than just have them create products. I don't know. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, it makes total sense. And it, it kind of goes back to that, um, you know, thinking we, we can't really be of service to others if we're not of service to ourselves first. And in teaching, I feel, you know, our role as educators is very much being of service to our students. And if we're not in a place where you know, our cup is full. How are we going to, how are we going to be available to, to help our students? And I think that there's also that, um, kind of modeling that we do, you know, if students are, their perception of our lives is that we're all over the place. I think that that can transfer to the students and they can kind of become all over the place as well. So if we want them to be, reflective and, you know, taking this time to, um, you know, really cherish what they're, what they're doing and what they're learning and where they are right now as people, um, and kind of holding that space for them, then, um, yeah, I think it becomes very challenging for some of this deeper learning and, transfer of knowledge that you spoke about to, to really happen. So it makes total sense. Yeah. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, it's about the storytelling. It's about, you know, who am I as a learner, as a teacher, as a facilitator, you know, and how can I really model the practices that I want to see in my learners. If we're not doing that, we can't expect the students to get on board and want to join in. And and that's one of the the areas that I really am trying to spend a bit more uh, attention lately and and thinking about, you know, we're going to do a second edition of documenting learning with ePortfolios. And 
you know, faculty development is, is something that we've always advocated for. And I don't think we've pushed that hard enough. I really believe that if you're going to ask your students to create a portfolio, you have to, you have to have undertaken that process yourself. I don't think that we can be good role models if we're not engaged in these practices. And it's, it's really interesting because the, um, AACNU uh, has just launched the second cohort of its ePortfolio Institute. So a little bit different than some of their other institutes, and this is something we're collaborating with them um, on at ABLE. It's a year-long experience. And so we have, I think this time around, I think we have 30 or 31 um, campuses involved and a number of us as faculty. And one of the things that come has come up with my cohort is, you know, because I keep asking them, like, have you all got portfolios? You know, what what do your portfolios look like? And <laughs> and and they have sort of most of them say, well, you know, I haven't got there yet. So one of my campuses in particular, you know, we were we were having this conversation. And I said, you know, if you're you're really trying to promote reflective practice on your campus and you're really why why wouldn't you want to do that for yourselves you know what what would happen if I designed a bit of a curriculum for you as a campus um, campus team not the whole campus Mm -hmm. um, that would enable you to create your own portfolios begin that process to get some feedback um, from me and from other members of the Institute faculty and from each other so that you could have that experience and then transfer that for your students. Because it sounds like based on the the work that you're wanting to do, that would be really, that's a really important piece. And so I'm really excited. They were like, yes, let's do that. Um, we will carve <laughs> out time to do that. And it's sort of, I mean, we've, we've had this out of practice community at ABLE for, for quite some time. And it's, it's basically modeled on that, yes. but it, it's, it's good for them because it's allowing them to develop their own professional identities online and to really engage mm-hmm. in some of the practices that they want the students to engage in. So they'll have a much better understanding of not only themselves, which I think is really important for all of us, but also for the kinds of experiences their students might have. And they're just going to build their empathy. They're going to, they're going to get something good out of it because they're going to develop yeah. this professional um, identity and it's going to be a win for everyone. And I think they yeah. ultimately will probably look at their current project plan a little bit differently. And to me, that that's a good thing. And yeah. I want to set them up for success. And I don't think they can be successful if they haven't engaged in the practices themselves. Mm-hmm. That's me. And I, I was gonna. Today. <laughs> oh no no no! I, I like your soapbox, um, but I, I was gonna say an, an important kind of caveat to that in the work that I do with um, campuses. There's been a number of schools that I think kind of had this thinking. Oh, you know, if we have the, you know, if we can get faculty to create the e-portfolios, then that experience will immediately transfer to the students. So let's have all of the faculty use e-portfolios for (laughs) P&T. And 
promotion and tenure youth portfolios can be a very different animal than the kind of, and I'm not saying they can't also include storytelling and reflection hundred percent. They can, but um, I know with many institutions that there's a certain format that they have to follow. And um, again, these kind of check boxes that need to be filled and, that can be a very different kind of experience than some of the e-portfolios that students may be creating within the context of maybe just a single prompt that they've gotten in class or something that they're just passionate about sharing because of work that they do in the community or if they're doing any kind of internship or service learning kind of experience. So um, I guess that as you were speaking, I was like, yes, yes. And then I was like, oh, but maybe not P&T because they, <laughs> some campuses are like, this is something that we know faculty need to do. Wouldn't this technology be great for that? And I think that it can, but that might not be the model that you're looking for to immediately be what is going to happen with the, the students. So, and I don't know if that's something that's come up in conversations with some of your able folks also. Yes, I fully agree with you. And I would add to that, just as we say to students, even if an employer that you're applying to work for doesn't look at your portfolio, you will be better able to articulate your knowledge, skills, and abilities because you've thought about those in your portfolio in advance. It will prepare you for that. So I agree with you. And I think, I think first off, we need to change campus systems and culture around promotion portfolios because it's a fraught process. I do not know one faculty member who's not gone up for promotion at any level and not been so stressed out about it because they've got to tick all the boxes. They've got to make sure all their evidence is in line and it's got to be in the right format. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think first off, we need a lot, we have a lot of work to do on that, that front. And I also agree that just having faculty jump through the hoops of creating a portfolio for promotion purposes is not going to transfer to really powerful learning experiences for students because it's not the same you know. Um, However, one of the things that I've been working on here, because we are, one of the ways we're starting portfolio work on our campus is through that promotion portfolio process. Yes. So I've spent, been spending a lot of time in conversation with faculty, but also with deans and chairs about the value of the storytelling part to frame the portfolio that they then submit for for promotion purposes. And one of the things I've been doing is having regular meetings with faculty where we're just speaking through the various parts of the portfolio that they know they need to create. 
and I ask them, well, tell me a little bit about more about that experience that you, you know, you've got this artifact in there, but what does that mean exactly? Like, why, why did you choose that one? Oh, well, that's because mm-hmm. this was a really important um, grant that I was part of. And, you know, it, it, tr- it transformed the way we think about marine biology. And that's why I have that in there. And I'm like, yeah, but that artifact doesn't say any of that on its own. Yeah. It's your reflection <laughs> yeah. on the importance of that artifact that's really important. So, so we did, uh, we have been working on, you know, embedding the context, which is really the story of the evidence into the promotion portfolios. I won't say that we're there yet. I, I do know that a member of a committee once said, you know, or has recently said, yeah, it's great that all those stories are in there, but I just want to see the evidence. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I have some work to do still. <laughs> but it's a process. It is. It's a process. Yeah. But, but I love to hear that um, as part of the process on your campus, there is this conversation with faculty as they're developing them that, it, it, you know, creates that moment of pause to think about, you know, why was that the, the artifact that they chose? And, um, you know, if it had that level of meaning for them, then having that information available for other people to see would be helpful, not just the, the document itself. For sure. Which comes back to, and that's something that is an experience that would be very helpful in transferring how they might use this kind of folio thinking with their students that, yes, they want to see the work that they created, but, you know, the impact that it had or why they wanted to choose that particular piece. Exactly. And, and I, I think my thinking on this has just been deepened by the work of Susan Kahn. She, she many years ago began to, to sort of embed this um, life stories of learning process into her classes with her students and she shared it with me and I adapted it for for my own um, courses and I've used that process with both students and with faculty and I think where it's really powerful for faculty as we were speaking about it earlier you know we're, we're really busy people I, I mean most mm-hmm. faculty members that I know wear about 50 hats you know it's not just yeah. I teach this set of courses but I also have committee work and you know a lot of responsibilities mm-hmm. not to mention my family and pets and all that good stuff so but I've found the process of storytelling for faculty really helps them to step back and it illuminates what those powerful learning experiences were for themselves as they were formed as as individuals and academics where some of those um you know and and those are both positive learning experiences and not so positive and we we did a book recently about storytelling for transformative learning and one of the things that really stood out is that most most academics or in this case it was educators or educational leaders most of most of the contributors to the book, if not all, had at least one experience that was that they framed as either traumatic or shameful. Mm-hmm. That they that that the process really surfaced for them, and 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 figuring out, you know, where does that shape my practice, you know, for good and not so good, and mm-hmm. how can I use that experience? in in service of transformative 
education or educational practices for others. And I, I just find that such a powerful thing. And we, we don't, we don't give ourselves that much time and space to really be reflective and, and to really look back on, you know, our experiences and, and think about how, how they, they've shaped us. Um, I'm really into, as you know, the work of James Clear and Atomic Habits and, you know, thinking about every action we take as a vote for the person we want to become. Well, for me, I think, you know, reflecting on our experiences is a vote for like, maybe I can be a better person. None of us are perfect. Yeah. And how do I learn from that? And how do I help my, my, my learners learn from that. I have graduate students in a master of education program right now who portfolio is built into the whole program and they've just been reading. Um, so they're in their second term. They've already created portfolios. They've got a bit of a, an emerging story of who they are as educators mm-hmm. and educa- educational leaders. And, um, and their portfolios are all over the place, you know, in a, in a good way. They've got a lot of stuff in there and we're working mm-hmm. on, which I think is an important first step. And now we're working on, you know, what what's curation look like for you? Um, how does your story, how is it continuing to unfold as you move through the program? And they've been reading a, a chapter that Gail Matthews Di Natale wrote in Kathy Yancey's mm-hmm. book, Portfolio as Curriculum. And I had a conversation with one of the students yesterday and they said, I think I get why we're doing this now. I, I feel like mm-hmm. I have a so much better sense of, you know, the way that ePortfolio is an important part of the curriculum in this program. And I would, and I said to, I said to them, I said, would you, if I had given you that chapter to read in term one, do you think you would have read it the same way? Like, would you have, would you have gotten it then? And they said, you know what? I don't think I would have. They needed to have that experience of the process a bit before they could really then start to dive into and unpack the process in a way that will be meaningful. So it's a five term process four-term, five-term program, five terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can only imagine by term, end of term five, where they're going to be. And it's going to yeah. be so exciting to watch as that unfolds along the way. And that's the beauty that it's a real gift to, to get yeah. to work with students across a whole program. Um, and not all of us yeah. get that, but um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um. Thank you for sharing that. I, I was getting kind of goosebumps because when I, you know, was starting this so many years ago, I was teaching in an education program. And so some of the very beginning e-portfolios um, were, you know, with this small cohort of um, MAT students. And it was just a beautiful thing to watch that development throughout the, the whole program. Absolutely. And it's, and it's really cool, even at a course, you know, even just at a course level, because you can see where they are in week one, and where they end up in week 12 or week 16. It, you know, it's different over a program, because you get a longer span. I think what Gail's done that is really exciting is she's, you know, she was interviewing students who had finished her graduate program in education and, you know, she followed up with them after the fact. And so mm-hmm. she also had a bit of that longitudinal, which is a, which is a huge challenge. I think that's another area of research that we really need to, 
to kind of focus in on. And, um, but it's, it's hard to do because students go here, there and everywhere, which are to me, which is why alumni are such important stakeholders because they help us to stay connected to, to our, you know, the, the ways that the students are taking the knowledge, skills and abilities into the world with them and, and what they do next, which is pretty exciting. Yes. Yes, it is. And Tracy, before we um, end today, if you have a few minutes, I, I think you mentioned that there's another publication that you're working on. Is there another book coming up or, or article that you're working on? Do you want to share any teasers with me today? <laughs> well, I am in the process with Helen and John working on our proposal for the second edition of Documenting Learning with ePortfolios. Um, I think that book still still um, stands up okay, and there are some chapters that I definitely want to add. Um, you know, I'd love to flesh out more, and I say I, we would love to flesh out more, you know, the stakeholders approach. I think that's that's really important mm. for us to continue to think about. Um, you know, we spoke a little bit today about identity development and, and building in a chapter, you know, just on that. I'm planning mm-hmm. a chapter, as you might um, might have guessed already on faculty development. We're thinking about um, curriculum design and portfolios and um, showcases. So I think there are some things that have come out of the work of the broader community that we really want to to bring to the conversation. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully make it uh, another good and useful resource for people to draw on. And I, I'm continuing to think about faculty development and portfolios and, and working on um, something on that front. And then um, out of the storytelling book, we we had educators and educational leaders from, and it, it's not tied to portfolios at all, but um, a number of the contributors to that book are also ePortfolio practitioners, mm-hmm. people like Candace Reynolds and um, Sonia Taylor, T- Teresa Comfrey. Yeah. So we also um, did a session at the AACNU forum and, um, you know, it's on my list of things. I really want to follow up with them and see if we can bring bring something together based on that presentation, which is really oh, that would be the combination of their experience of yeah, the experiences of learning from the book, but really thinking about equity and um, inclusion, mattering. Yeah, so mm-hmm. those are all areas mm-hmm. that I'm keen on working Fantastic. forward. <laughs> yes, well, I look forward to that very much. So, Tracy, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining me and sharing some of your journey and story and also some fun things ahead. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's always great to get to have time with you. Take good care. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative ePortfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Kelly Driscoll. Thanks for listening.